from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of at Serial underscore Killing on Instagram where sometimes we veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, as always. Katoras, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Janice, Hammer, Katarina, Florence, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, two Emmas, Emily, Galen, Cassandra, Bree, David, John, and Judy. As always, thank you so, so much. You are truly appreciated. And if my voice does sound a little bit off, it's because I'm fighting just a regular cold, nothing serious. So this week's podcast is going to be on the Little Albert Experiment. This one will be coming with my disclaimer, disclaimer, nothing gory, but science has a tendency to walk that ethical line, if you know what I mean. So for now, a bit of backstory. This takes us all the way back to the turn of the century when Russian scientist Ivan Pavlov, born in 1849, who is the founder of modern behavior therapy and classical conditioning, began studying the physiology of digestion. He investigated the gastric function of his test subjects, dogs, and then later children, He wanted to collect, measure, and analyze the saliva from the salivary gland to see what differences there might be in saliva under different conditions. Now, as Pavlov conducted his experiments and time went along, he began to observe that dogs would most often begin to salivate before food was actually given to them. And as time went on, they would begin to salivate at even the sight of the researchers entering the room because they connected the idea of humans entering the room with the reward of food. And then he introduced other stimuli, such as a metronome and so on, and this too seemed to work. So accidentally, Pavlov had discovered what is commonly referred to as classical conditioning, though he called it psychic secretion himself. Now, as I'm sure you all know that there's more to these experiments and Pavlov himself, but you get the basic idea. So what is classical conditioning? It's sometimes referred to as Pavlovian conditioning, and it's a type of learning that happens unconsciously. An automatic or reflex, predictable response happens with a specific stimulus. The behavior is not voluntary or on purpose. That is operant conditioning, which is a whole other thing. A great example is the television show, The Office. And if you guys do follow the Instagram or TikTok, then you will already know the scene that I'm about to refer to. I made a four-part series about it. 
But this is the episode where Jim, who is forever messing with Dwight, decides to use classical conditioning on him. Jim begins simply by stating out loud that he needs to reboot his computer. At that moment, he asks Dwight if he'd like an Altoid or a breath mint candy, to which Dwight accepts. Now, as the days go on, every time Jim makes his computer chime the reboot sound, he gets an Altoid out and offers it to Dwight, who begins to just automatically take it. Day after day, Jim does this, always beginning with the reboot sound, immediately followed by offering the Altoid. Dwight, still absently sticking his hand out to accept the mint, until one day, Jim has his computer ring the sound, and Dwight, without raising his head or acknowledging the sound, with a sigh, puts his hand out for the mint. And as Dwight sat there with his hand out, Jim looked at him confused, asked him, what are you doing? Dwight, still with his hand out, looks at his hand, equally confused, and he says, I, I don't know. While he realizes his mouth is watering for no reason. This is a perfect example of classical conditioning. And folks, this is an incredibly effective behavior modification tool. This then takes us to another scientist and U.S. psychologist, John B. Watson. He began teaching psychology at John Hopkins University in 1908 at 30 years old. A few years later, he gave a lecture at Columbia University called, quote, Psychology as the Behaviorist Views It, end quote. According to him, psychology should be the science of observable behavior. He said, quote, Psychology as the behaviorist views it is a purely objective experimental branch of natural science. Its theoretical goal is the prediction and control of behavior. Introspection forms no essential part of its methods, nor is the scientific value of its data dependent upon the readiness with which they lend themselves to interpretation in terms of consciousness. End quote. And so, John began studying Pavlov's work, which, of course, led to his address to the American Psychological Association. He strongly defended the objective scientific status of applied psychology, meaning using findings to solve practical problems. During this time, applied psychology was unfortunately considered to be far more inferior than the already established structural experimental psychology. But John emphasized the external behavior of people and their reactions to specific situations rather than the non-observable internal mental state of those people. So why try to categorize and observe what you can't see? That was his argument. Now, he combined some other ideas into this as well, but long story short, he contributed to what is often called methodological behaviorism, which simply is just the study of human and animal behaviors. John knew this would pull psychology into a new era. John's behaviorism rejected the studying of consciousness because he believed it was impossible to study consciousness. He believed psychology should not focus on the mind, but rather behavior. And again, there's way more to it, but you get the idea. So, 
After studying Pavlov's work, John became very interested in how emotions are conditioned with regards to how people externally display their emotions. He theorized that there are three unlearned emotional reactions at birth, fear, rage, and love. Now with fear, two stimuli evoke this response in babies and in very small children, a sudden noise and the loss of physical support as if they feel like they're about to be dropped. With rage, he felt that it was a response to a child being restrained in some way, though with older children, this gets expanded. And then finally with love, John said that this was an automatic response from infants when quote, tickled, patted, or stroked lightly, end quote. He stated that infants do not love specific people, but rather are conditioned to do so. He believed that the baby makes a correlation between the mother's face and the affection, and that causes the conditioning. So I say all of that to say this. John had a student who was also apparently his lover, though he was a married man named Rosalie Rayner. In 1920, together, they decided to conduct an experiment. This experiment was called the Little Albert Experiment. Now, brace yourselves. It's not horrible, but it's hard to hear. Now, this was a controlled experiment showing empirical evidence of classical conditioning in humans. This also provided an example of stimulus generalization. This experiment was done at John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. John wanted to see if he could condition a small child to fear specific and distinct stimuli that normally would not elicit a fear response from a child. He quite literally wanted to program a phobia into an otherwise emotionally stable child with no pre-existing phobias or issues. He chose a nine-month-old baby who was referred to as Little Albert for this experiment. Now, researchers have actually tried to locate Little Albert to see how his life was after and have come up with two possible boys. Douglas Merritt and William Barger, but we'll get into their stories a little later. But for this experiment, Albert, the chosen baby Albert, was noted as being born a perfectly healthy, happy, normal baby boy. To begin the experiment, John presented baby Albert with things that the baby would have no real opinion on at first. He actually seemed to enjoy. The baby was shown a burning newspaper at a safe distance, of course then a monkey, followed by a dog, cotton and wool, a rabbit, different masks with and without hair, and a white rat. Footage of this shows that Albert responded the most to the white rat. He seemed rather interested in it, actually, but to each stimulus, Albert showed no fear at all. This part of the experiment lasted for roughly two months. So when Albert was about 11 months old, he was placed on a mattress on top of a large table in the middle of a room. Now John and Rosalie were there to protect him from falling off the table. Now a white rat was presented to him to which he reached out to grass because he did want to play with it. The moment he reached out, John or Rosalie hit a metal bar with a hammer making a very loud and sudden noise. 
Each time Albert reached out for the rat, they would hit the metal bar with the hammer. At first, he was startled, but then he began to become frightened and cry out. After a few of these sessions, he very quickly associated the white rat with the terrifying sound. Needless to say, it didn't take long for Albert to begin to cry as soon as he even saw the rat. John and Rosalie wrote, quote, The instant the rat was shown, the baby began to cry. Almost instantly, he turned sharply to the left, fell over on his left side, raised himself on all fours, and began to crawl away so rapidly that he was caught with difficulty before reaching the edge of the table, end quote. And again, I want to reiterate that it is John and Rosalie in the footage. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As the experiment continued, baby Albert began to become incredibly distressed at the sight of many other objects with fur, including the rabbit, the dog, a seal skin coat, and a Santa Claus mask that had had kind of cotton balls glued to the beard. And side note, things that resembled regular hair did not frighten him. So then it is said that Albert was sent home for one month and then brought back into the same setting to see if he would have the same responses to the same stimuli, if the conditioning was still present. And just as John had suspected, little Albert did indeed still show tremendous fear of furry objects. Now, John was nearing the end of his experiment, stating that phobias were most likely conditioned responses. Now, I myself have to wonder if Albert had a fear as soon as he saw John and Rosalie themselves, you know, making the connection between them and the stress, but I digress. By the end of the experiment, Albert was around one year old. It is reported that he was taken out of the hospital very shortly after by his mother and they moved away. This also meant that John and Rosalie could not totally complete their experiment and then effectively desensitize little Albert to not be afraid of furry objects anymore, which is called systematic desensitization. And John did have a plan for that in place, as a matter of fact. So after some time, John gave a series of lectures discussing this experiment. And now this experiment is one of psychology's most famous experiments, and it is taught in nearly all intro to psych classes. And while it was effective in showing classical conditioning, it is widely criticized for a lot of reasons. For one, it's completely unethical for obvious reasons. Some have argued that little Albert had cognitive abnormalities at birth, therefore affecting the validity of the results, but others have argued this. Another is something called the conditioning paradigm, and I love paradigms, a side note 
but conditioning paradigm is complicated, but basically means that children under a year old might not have developed all of the necessary motor skills to differentiate between motor behaviors and the environment around them. Others say that humans have biologically evolved to have specific fears of specific stimuli, such as animals, but would not be able to be conditioned to fear curtains or wooden blocks or not nearly as easily. The conditions of the experiment itself came into question. First of all, the study was incomplete. It also didn't have a control subject as the only child was little Albert. There was no way to study the long-term effects on little Albert and on and on. Now, John and his family's life after the experiment was difficult to say the least. It was discovered that John and Rosalie were having an affair and John was asked to leave John Hopkins University. He and his wife, Mary, inevitably divorced and they had already had two children together whom they named John and Mary of all things. It was reported that his wife had actually found love letters that her husband had written to his lover. This affair would become quite the bit of gossip and was front page news during the divorce. But John and Rosalie married shortly after the divorce was final and they took up residence in Connecticut. Together they had two sons, William and James, and the pair raised their boys with the behaviorist principles that John had worked on and believed in in all this time. But because of the public shame, John had a harder time finding work where his passion was, so he was forced to work in an advertising agency. But don't worry, his background in how stimuli can affect human behavior, he had quite the successful advertising career. He even used the power of sexual suggestion, a.k.a. using beautiful women to sell products. Now, there is some speculation, bit of gossip, if you will, that John Hopkins also had discovered that the pair had been collaborating on physiological sex research by measuring their own body's physiological responses during sex. And this theory was published later by another psychologist who believed the extramarital affair would not have been enough for John to lose his job. I mean, that was happening all the time. But again, I can't confirm this. John and Rosalie were married for 15 years, but then after eating some bad fruit, Rosalie unexpectedly died from contracting dysentery. It was reported that John was completely devastated by this loss and he never remarried. She was 36 years old when she died. John was 57. John's first daughter, Mary, attempted suicide later in life, citing her father's behavioral beliefs that he brought into his parenting. Her daughter, John's granddaughter, also reportedly suffered with psychological issues that she blamed point blank on being raised with her grandfather's psychological and behavioral theories. Both of his sons with Rosalie also attempted suicide and had depression. William, the oldest of the boys, succeeded in 1954. Four years later, John himself would die at the age of 80. Before his death, he actually burned nearly all of his papers and documents stating, quote, when you are dead, you are all dead, 
End quote. And then finally, whatever happened to little Albert? John made identifying him difficult since he destroyed so much of his information, but the identity of little Albert has been narrowed down to two boys, Douglas Merritt and William Barger. So Douglas's mother, 22-year-old Arvilla, was a single mother who had already had a four-year-old son. Once she found out she was pregnant with Douglas, she left her parents' home and moved into the Baltimore home for fallen and friendless women, one mile from John Hopkins' campus. After giving birth to Douglas, she was a wet nurse or a woman who would donate her own breast milk to other infants whose mothers were unable to nurse, and she worked on a campus hospital. She worked on the campus at the time of this experiment as well. It was documented that after she took her children and moved in to help with a farming couple in Maryland. It is said that Douglas's health began to decline after our villa took him and his brother to Maryland. When Douglas was six years old, he died. His cause of death was listed as hydrocephalus and convulsions. Hydrocephalus is an abnormal buildup of fluid deep within the brain, which causes pressure on the brain tissue, and of course convulsions indicate that he had some form of epilepsy. And while no one can point to his death being caused by or the effect of the experiment, but at the same time, there's no way of knowing if he experienced any long-term effects from his conditioning either. William's mother was Pearl Barger, who had had him in 1919, the same as Douglas and Arvilla. She had had him as a teenager before she married his father and went on to have two more children with him. William's middle name was Albert, FYI, and he did go by that name. Now, Pearl had never told William that he had been born out of wedlock, and the rest of the family past that generation had had no idea either. William was described as a very intelligent and curious person who would have found it fascinating that he had been Albert from the famous experiment. And interestingly, William did grow up having an aversion to animals. In fact, family members who had pets were asked to put them away in another room when he visited. His wife jovially teased him about his fear of animals and, in particular, dogs. William lived a very long and happy life, dying at the age of 87 with no known other phobias. John and Rosalie claimed to have done a great many studies involving children, and they published a lot of literature on the subject, but it does not change the fact that using babies or children in general is, of course, unethical. But we do have to take a step back and realize that they did no physical harm to little Albert, and they kept him physically safe during the experiment, but, but it is tough to know that they terrified a baby in the name of science. And I know that this one's a bit of a shorter one, guys, but let me know what you think about this experiment. You can leave a comment below if you're watching or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can always email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com. Consider becoming a patron. And as always, thank you so, so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and have a great day.